people are looking for these little moments of humor. And I think it's because when things do feel very heavy and you feel very weighed down, just a little something can really lift your spirits in a way that perhaps is irrational. (laughs) It's like, why did that make such a big deal? But there is something about just like a funny little moment can can give you a, a sense of perspective on everything that's going on in the world. Hi, I'm Jeremy Goldman, and this is Future Proof. Gretchen Rubin is one of today's most influential and thought-provoking observers of happiness and human nature. She's the author of quite a few books, including multiple New York Times bestsellers. Her books have sold, I believe, about three and a half million copies worldwide. I'll ask her for an updated number in a minute. Um, And uh, yeah, they've been uh, translated to more than 30 languages. And on her top-ranking, award-winning podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, she discusses happiness and good habits with her sister, Elizabeth Kraft. She's a regular columnist for O, among other venues and outlets. And she's a sought-after collaborator and recently partnered with Oracle on some really interesting research about, you guessed it, happiness. So I'm excited to talk to her about that today. Gretchen, welcome to Future Proof. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be talking to you today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So first off, uh, not to put you in the spot, but three and a half million. How out of date is that number? Are we up to like 3.8 now? Uh, you at? know, I, one of the things I do to keep myself happier is I don't check my numbers that often. So actually, I haven't looked in a while. So um, I should do that. You're you're reminding me that I should go look that up again. But, um, you know, it can I, get easy to keep, you know, refreshing your metrics. And that is often not a, a highway to happiness. Oh, so I'm not sure. Well, fair enough. Besides what I put in uh, at the top of the show, who are you and what do you do on a day-to-day basis? How do you define yourself? Well, you know, I'm a writer um, and that, that I guess, is still my core identity. I write about happiness, good habits, human nature. I'm writing a book right now about the five senses and how we can tap into our five senses. But from there, I really, I I love to communicate about ideas that fascinate me and I love to connect with other people for other people's insights and observations. Um, and examples and questions. And so I have an app, the Happier app, which is a habit tracking app. Um, I have, uh, you know, the podcast. I, you know, do all kinds of social media um, because I'm really interested in all these new ways that we can connect with people um, about the ideas that are interesting. And uh, yeah, speaking about connections, I mean, I, I, I got to imagine it's an interesting genesis of how you and Oracle uh, yeah. partnered up. And, you know, it, it, I think that the more people get into the study, the more they realize why Oracle wanted to, you know, do something like this. But maybe you can tell us the genesis of that. Yeah, it's really interesting. They came to me, they had this idea. And, uh, you know, it's just this very interesting question. I mean, we all know that life is different. Um, than it was two years ago. So, but what does that look like? And and sort of where are people now and what are they looking for now? And uh, I think there was a lot of interesting material that was kicked up in their research. Um, and one of the things that I thought, you know, sort of as a happiness person, very reassuring is that they found that, um, you know, people trying to get back to a sense of normal are doing very, they're focused on very sensible things. They're thinking about health, they're thinking about personal connections, and they're thinking about experiences. And ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists would agree that these are three really good avenues um, to make our lives happier. Yeah, one of the so there were a lot of interesting findings that I was pulling out of this. And, uh, you know, I thought one of the interesting things is that uh, I think it was about 45 percent of global respondents haven't felt 
true happiness for more than two years. And wondering how much of that is because of the pandemic and how much of it might be other factors? Well, you know, that is a great question um, because certainly there's COVID, but there's there, there are many, um, unfortunately, many different, as you can take your pick, about things that are contributing to a sense of fear and anxiety and uncertainty. Um, so this has been um, a very difficult time for for many different reasons. So they did not uh, try to peel that out, um, what was going on um, specifically for an individual respondent. Um, but certainly, certainly COVID is, is, a, is a massive um, uh, effect that we're all experiencing, but other things are going on as well, obviously. Yeah. I, I mean, another uh, finding that I thought was interesting, about 25% don't know or have forgotten what it means to feel truly happy. And first off, I'm, I'm just wondering, why is that? And is that really true? Is it, I, I couldn't believe that number. I mean, it's it, it just like sta- it's staggering to me. It is. And, um, you know, one of the things about the study is the idea of happiness was left to be very subjective. And sometimes when you do certain kinds of scientific research, you have to get very, very fiddly with your definitions. Um, and here it was left very open for respondents to, to bring their own definitions of happiness to it. Um, but I still think uh, that using that broad term is is very helpful when you think, well, I, I've sort of forgotten what it's like to be truly happy. That gives you an idea of where people's heads are um, and kind of like what they might be looking for in the future, uh, which is, you know, they are looking for things that are going to make them smile and laugh. They're looking for moments of uh, of levity. Um, and, you know, because when we're trying to think about being happier, we can work on deep, large transcendent issues. And of course, that's, that's enormously important. But we can also think about sort of small, little actions or little encounters in our day to day that might just give us a little lift. Um, but sometimes when we take care of those smaller things, it's easier to, to tackle the bigger things. So I thought one of the things that was interesting from this oral call report was that these little touch points that we get even from brands, you know, from, from marketing, from advertising, from customer interaction, you might not think people would be looking to that as an experience that's going to make them happier. But in fact, people really want that. They want just these little, these little jolts of, of, of humor um, throughout their day, that that seems to be something that um, is, is attracting people as, as something that can help them come out of this period. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I just think just to call out one brand, I remember when, uh, I, you know, I lost one of my cats uh, and, uh, uh, you know, Chewy, the uh, pet care company, you know, we returned or asked them, what what do you do with some medicine that we had for him? And they sent a a card the next day. And while I wasn't, you know, happy per se, but like that interaction, that human connection was so meaningful in that moment that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, my life was still the same, you know, still had lost the cat, but you feel a little bit different. And I think it's so true that there's just like these little things that brands can do make people feel differently. My cousin had exactly the same experience with her dog. I mean, she mentioned it to me um, a couple of times that just this little touch point, this little moment of kind of human engagement, as you say, that's not an example of humor, but it's an example of of recognition and uh, sort of a, kind of an acknowledgement of an experience that you're going through. Um, and it is interesting that, you know, we might not think of like when we think of human connections as something that we're working on um, in our lives, you might not think of the way that you interact with brands as a form of human connection, but functionally it is. Um, it does feel like if somebody has a, you know, if, if, if Wendy's has a funny tweet, it feels like 
human engagement, it feels like engagement to you. Um, and so whether it's sort of more profound, like what you experienced, my cousin experienced, or something that's a little bit more whimsical or silly, um, we really get, you know, it, there's something social about that, um, you know, about that, that feeling of laughter and the shared joke or the, or the shared sorrow even. Um, it, it, it gives us that feeling of connection that we're so hungry for. Absolutely. So another thing that I thought was really fascinating was that over half of respondents would give up part of their salary or income to feel just one hour of happiness. And I think the numbers were, I believe it was 59% Gen Z, 61% of uh, millennials, 45% of boomers. So boomers are, are, I guess, a little bit more practical in that regard. But just to push back on that, I mean, is that really how people feel? Or is, is that... I, just something where people say something like that in order to represent how important happiness is, the pursuit of happiness is to them overall? Well, I wonder if you're right. I know that that really stuck out um, to me. And I, I think it's sort of more metaphorical. But um, but what I think is interesting is that the research showed that the that the Gen Z and the millennials were more affected um, that it, it did seem like that, you know, I think one of the things that everyone's studying right now is like, who's feeling what and, 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 and what does that mean? And what does that look like? And how do we carry that into the future? And so it was interesting that this research showed that younger people um, seem to seem to be struggling more with happiness than older than, than the boomers. Um, So yeah, that's one way that that showed up. And I don't know if, I mean, you're the expert in this, I am talking to the perfect person about this, but like if we can equate happiness and meaning necessarily they're not exactly the same thing but it does seem that you know especially with the great resignation upon us uh, more recently that a lot of people are just looking for meaning so I, I i guess what i'm asking is is this just you know are people using happiness in this situation as a proxy for meaning and everybody's just trying to find meaning in their lives uh and maybe they're they've been taking you know greater stock of themselves over the last few years well, that's such an important question. And, you know, as, as I said, like we hear the, the term happiness was left open so people could very much bring their own me- their own definition to it, because you're right. Like, how does meaning connect with happiness? I think different people uh, uh, make that determination in a different way, sort of gets into definitions. Um, there's something like 15 academic definitions of happiness. So we can get inc- very, very specific, um, whereas here it was left very broad. But I do think that one of the things that 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 has been widely remarked upon was how the pandemic experience has really led so many of us to step back, take a breath, take stock and say, how am I spending my time? How am I spending my energy? Does this line up with my values? Is there do I want to just set up my life in a different way? Do do I do I want to recalculate? Um, everything that I've been doing up until this point, because um, this is just sort of this kind of huge upheaval helps to clarify people's thinking. It's it's kind of like January 1st. You know, there's a lot of people object to the arbitrary nature of January 1st. There's no magic to January 1st. But I think it's very common that we sort of need a catalyst for reflection. We need something to remind us to be like, stop, think. And so whether that's January 1st or it's your birthday or it's halfway day, which is July 2nd, or um, you know, it's an important anniversary uh, in your own life. Um, it can be good to have these days that sort of prompt us to stop and reflect and think about whether we want to make changes. And I think that the pandemic was a huge, like just shook everybody out of their routine, uh, upended everybody's habits, um, shook us up, 
showed us that different things were possible. You know, there was the massive acceleration in the use of technology. Um, some things were better, so many things were worse, um, and it's all still being worked out. Um, but and I think you're exactly right. We're seeing that now as people are are, are stepping back and saying, "What am I? You know, how am I spending my time? What am I doing? Um, what what is the meaning of all this?" Um, and it can be uncomfortable for sure, but I think it's uh, you know it's 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 really terrific um, that so many people are having this this time of reflection and and perhaps um, change. But so one thing that I think is interesting, and I don't, I'm curious what you feel about this, and maybe this is why Oracle want to you know do the study in the first place. But if human beings who are employees are thinking a little bit more about how they ought to be spending their time, how to find meaning in their lives and in their work then maybe companies should be spending more time how to kind of deliver that meaning and what that employee experience needs to look like. Because, I mean, I feel like there are definite findings, uh, you know, here tied towards companies looking to re- retain their employees. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's an incredibly fruitful um, avenue for research. And I think there's been a lot of work done on that already um, and how much more uh, uh, satisfaction employees feel if they see the meaning in what they're doing um, and, 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 and trying to uh, connect those dots for employees so that they, they see the meaning in what they're doing. Absolutely. Actually, and this is something I wasn't even going to ask, but uh, some people might not know about you, but I've you know, done a decent amount of digging into your bio. I feel like in your search for meaning, you had a, probably a more interesting pivot in life than a lot of people. You know, what, what did you start out doing and you know, how, how did you kind of figure out that you would find more meaning in the path of work that you eventually did uh, you know, undertake? Yeah, well, I started my career in law, um, and I was actually clerking on the Supreme Court for uh, Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor when I realized that I actually wanted to be a writer. Um, so it took me a little while to con- to uh, make that pivot, um, but that's where I got I got the idea that led me to write my first book. And um, yeah, so I started out in law, and then uh, uh, realized that actually um, I wanted to be a writer. Yeah, so uh, I think Gretchen was an early adopter, even when it came to the great resignation uh, in that regard. No, because I think that obviously that has been a, such a major topic recently. And, you know, it, it, it will talk a little bit about inflation and uncertainty and mm-hmm. whether or not that's changed things at all. Oh, yeah. But I think that, uh, you know, wondering if you think that there are any lessons that managers can take in terms of figuring out how to keep uh, their, you know, teams happy and engaged, uh, you know, g- given uh, the, the current state of, uh, you know, the employment landscape? Well, one thing that's that's really interesting from the research and kind of surprised me, but again, when you think about it, it makes sense, is that when you ask people about their work experience, what matters tremendously to them is their immediate manager, not the charismatic boss that's at the, you know, at the top and sort of setting the vision, uh, not somebody a couple layers up, but the person who they're actually in touch with, um, their immediate manager. It, it matters tremendously to people. Um, you want to feel like this manager knows you. This is manager uh, wants to help you get the tools that you need to succeed, uh, that your manager understands where you want to go in your career, not just immediately, but the long term, and wants to help you figure out the steps that are going to get you there. Um, and, and this matters tremendously. Um, and, you know, at, back to human connection, you know, which we keep returning to. 
Um, another thing that you see when you ask people, are you happy at work? People say they have a friend at work. And this isn't just somebody that you make, you know, fun conversation, you know, in the office kitchen. This is somebody where you would confide an important secret where you feel like you trust this person to have your back. Um, and I think one thing that's going to be really interesting is as we move to more hybrid model, is it going to be more of a challenge to have that feeling of connection to your manager and have that connection uh, to your colleagues? Like, obviously, I'm not the first one to say this. Like, everybody's thinking about this. Everybody's concerned about it. Um, but I think it is a real concern because um, we need to figure out how to manage this uh, because it's so important, even when circumstances are changing very rapidly and, and we're sort of figuring things out. Um, that, have, that are different from the way they've been in the past. Yeah, definitely. I think another thing that is probably really interesting to cover here is the very fact that, you know, like you said, there is a hybrid environment that most companies are operating in these days. And, you know, I, I, we talk to a lot of people and say, like, what do they think the future looks like and why? And, you know, Yes, there's going to be a lot of hybrid work environments, but is it 60-40? Is it 40-60? What does it look like in terms of having the ideal uh, workforce of tomorrow when you talk about building that camaraderie and the fact that, you know, metaverse and immersive technologies are not where they need to be in order to, you know, create the same types of uh, connections that you would uh, in the old days around the water cooler. So like, is there a perfect formula or is it going to depend on the company? Well, I think it depends tremendously on, on the company, on the, on the role, um, on, you know, the environment, on so many factors. Um, and, uh, and I think that's one of the things that's going to be challenging about it is it's like when basically everybody was working more or less the same way, uh, we kind of knew what to expect. Whereas now there's going to be, I think, I think we can predict that there's going to be a lot of fragmentation in how different places, um, even within the same company might approach scheduling. And one thing that I have to say that I don't think has had very much attention that is very striking to me as somebody who thinks a lot about habits and happiness is that for a lot of working people, um, you know, you kind of had a five-day schedule and a two-day schedule. So you had your habits built around the five days, which is the architecture that you've had ever since your school days. And if you have children in school, that it's the architecture of their days. And then you had the weekend. So we had kind of five-day, two-day. And if you look at people's habits, a lot of times there were like five-day habits, two-day habits. You had your weekday habits and your weekend habits. They were sort of built around that. What we're going to see now is that it's not is it Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but then next week it's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. And then, oh, I, I used to go for a walk at lunchtime with my coworker, but now we're, we don't go on the same day. We're only there like half the time on the same day. So now I'm not exercising consistently or, or I'm not on the same schedule as my child. So I can't, you know, build a habit off of the habit of dropping my kid off at school. There's just going to be a lot more figuring it out. Um, in a whole new way. And I think we saw some of this in the pandemic, but, but the circumstances of the pandemic themselves were so unusual. They're not a lot of, I think a lot of people built in habits around sort of the pandemic period that now have to be again, rethought and rebuilt for, for whatever the next normal is going to be. And, um, and as somebody who thinks that habits have a really important role to play in being happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative, because like 50% of our everyday life is formed by habits. Um, I think it's really important that we think about this individually and, you know, as companies um, about how to, how to build habits in a way um, so that we can sustain them in this, in this next normal. 
That is one of the most interesting things about this is that we're kind of living in the Wild West right now. Yeah. And no, nobody quite knows. Yeah. No company has found this is the best practice and this is what most people should do plus 20%, minus 20%. It seems that it's all over the map in terms of what the quote unquote best practices are because nobody quite knows yet. Well, and everybody, everybody's situation is so different. I mean, the tasks are different. The people are different. The, the, the size of teams is different. Uh, how, how rapidly new people have to be kind of incorporated is different. Like there's, there's so many factors. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, no one's figured it out. Um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Absolutely. And, you know, just to kind of uh, start wrapping things up, I know you have to go in a second. I, I want to ask you, uh, some of the data that I've seen, that four and a half million people quit their jobs in March alone. I, obviously, those numbers are in flux, uh, you know, the last few months. And there's obviously something still brewing with respect to the great resignation. But then at the same time, you know, inflation is rampant right now when we're recording this. And I know a lot of people are concerned about that. And you know, yes, happiness, meaning all of those things matter. But then are we seeing a bit of a reset where people are going to, you know, if the economy gets worse, do people kind of put happiness aside and, you know, whether or not they should and, you know, brush it aside for six months and say, I just have to take that job that isn't going to make me happy and isn't going to fulfill me in order to, you know, just get by. Well, I mean, I could we could play games with the definition of happiness because you could say like, well, what you've decided is that security uh, you know, and, and freedom from financial worry is the thing that is your most this is your is your top priority right now. And so, in order to be happy, you're going to take the job that's going to give you that give you that. Um, because certainly, um, one of the most valuable things that money can buy is the freedom from having to worry about money. Um, and so, so that could be a very like I can imagine that a lot of people for them that would be the happy choice would be getting that that feeling of uh, you know financial stability. But yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, everything that happens can can kind of set us back and, and have us rethinking um, what matters to us. Um, maybe we decide that our lifestyle is too expensive and we're worried too much about money. So we want to downsize and scale back. Um, certainly you hear about many people doing that, looking for ways uh, to, um, you know, just spend less money so they don't so that they feel like they have a little more wiggle room. Um, but it's interesting, you know, it's just, we're, we're going through our days and that's why it's interesting that people are looking for just these little moments of humor. And I think it's because when things do feel very heavy and, you know, you feel very weighed down, just a little something can, can really lift your spirits in a way that perhaps is irrational. <laughs> it's like, why, why, why did that make such a big deal, make a, such a big deal? But there is something about just, uh, you know, like a funny little moment can um, can give you a, like a better perspective, a, a sense of perspective on on everything that's going on in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll drop a, a link to uh, the whole entire uh, study in the show notes because I thought it was really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, Gretchen, I know you have to go, uh, but uh, thank you so much. This was really fascinating. Oh, I so enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Gretchen for making the time. And if you like what you just heard and this is your first time here, be sure to subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, the choice is yours. And if you're a longtime listener, please remember to rate and review Future Proof as that's the number one way we get the show in front of people just like you. Special thanks this week to producer Jason Stack. Once again, I'm Jeremy Goldman, and you've been listening to Future Proof.